That's on page 913 of your pew Bibles. Acts chapter 5, and we'll read verses 12 through 42. I invite you to stand out of respect for the reading of God's word. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the people and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so was the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by the people, took up, uh, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, uh, Theudas stood up, rose up, Uh, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, almost 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. 
And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. God's word cannot fail. Do you believe that? Good. Do you believe that God's word cannot fail? Do you believe that the gospel uh, must go forth? I think many of us acknowledge this, at least intellectually, right? When we're, uh, we, we, we believe that statement. We, we want to believe it. But when we're honest, there are days when that's hard to believe. At least it feels difficult. And those words, God's word cannot fail. They don't feel very true. When our culture feels to drift daily far from Christianity, when we hear reports of of people of, of, of a new generation fleeing the church, when our neighbors seem no more interested in the gospel than when we first started inviting them to church and talking to them about Jesus. Those are days in which we struggle to really believe that God's word can't, cannot fail. But in this passage, God tells us on the very authority of his own word that he is not muted, he is not helpless or weak, But his gospel is unstoppable. His word must go forth. And that's what this passage leaves us. Just just this overwhelming impression that despite all of our fears and uncertainty and, and, and failure to really believe that God's word will succeed, this passage says it happened and it's still happening. So let's look at this. Let's see the lesson that this passage teaches us, which we, we just, um, just heard in summary. And then I, we need to, by the end of the sermon, really ask, how does this change me today? How do we respond? Well, we've affirmed already that God's gospel is unstoppable. And if that just emerges from this passage, it's like a main point, jumping off the pages. We need to ask, what gospel message are we talking about? What is it? What's the gospel? The gospel is very good news. That's what it means. Good news that there is new life in Christ Jesus. There is new life in Christ Jesus. We need new life. Have you noticed that? We need new life. Uh, First of all, it's obvious because all of us are headed to death. All of humanity has one destination, and we all know what what every day, what every second, what every minute is headed towards, and it is our physical death. But our physical death is a reminder that something is, is really wrong with this world. And it only takes a moment to reflect on the fact that physical death points to something deeper that is dead and dying, and it is the death that is within us, the spiritual death. The death that results from us 
having not honored or loved God, having not followed his rules. And in fact, from the very beginning, our, the first father, Adam, disobeyed God. And in that same day, he died, not physically, but spiritually. A death sentence loomed over him. Why? Because the soul that sins dies. The soul that turns against God and says, yeah, I think I want to live life according to my own rules. Has done nothing less than led a rebellion against the great God of the universe. A holy God in whose presence can be no sin. And so death came to all men from Adam forward, to you, to me. Yes, we will die one day physically if Christ does not return before then. But that physical death is just a reminder that already, apart from Christ, we are dead within. Even our best efforts to do good things and to live as good people fall short of the kind of good intentions that we really ought to have in bringing glory, not to ourselves, but putting the spotlight on God. That is the universal message of the, God, of, of the Bible, that we have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and so death is that cursed result of our hearts and the hearts of all men. But God gives new life in Christ. He gave his only son. He sent him forth to do what? to die that death that we deserve to die. And he lived the perfect life that we failed to, to live so that we receive through faith in Jesus by trusting in him, we receive life. The power and the purpose to become new people. Behold, in Christ, there is a new creation. And so you could say that the gospel is this. God, our sins, paying everyone life. G-O-S-P-E-L. God, our sins, paying everyone life. Everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ receives not death, but life. And that happens right now, spiritually, through the work of the Holy Spirit, but into eternity. So that our death is not, it is what? What are we just saying? An entrance into glory. Not an entrance into hell, but an entrance into heaven. That's the good news. And so in verse 20 of Acts chapter 5, the angel who releases these apostles from prison says, Go and proclaim this life. Go and proclaim Jesus risen from the dead. Go and proclaim this good news, this very good news. That death is not the final word, but if you trust in Jesus, life is yours now and forever. I wonder if, if you have embraced that gospel. I'm going to keep pressing that throughout this sermon. Because it's this good news that comes under attack in our passage. Have you noticed all the different ways that the jealous opposition tries to silence this good news. Really tries to put it down. First, they try to lock it up. All 12 apostles put in prison. This is the first attempt to really put the gospel under lock and key and silence it. If we can get all the apostles rounded up and tuck them away in prison, 
then, then we've stopped their work. And that's what the opposition, that's what the religious leaders of Jerusalem decide to do. And at first, they're quite successful. You can picture in your mind all the 12 apostles sitting in the, in, behind bars in the public prison. Just, they're yearning to get out to preach good news. But there they are under lock and key. But then notice what happens in verse 18. You heard it read that the prison doors in the middle of the night are opened. And by this incredible miracle, an angel of the Lord beckons all 12 apostles. What what are you doing here? Come on out and preach the gospel to the people. Now imagine, it's, it's a humorous picture, isn't it? That here are the religious leaders very comfortable and glad that they were able to round up all 12 apostles and they're headed to court to put them on trial. But then they, they say, hey, you're going to want to go get them now. They're in the prison. And yet the messenger comes back to them and says, guys, they're not there. We saw them. They're in the temple. They got there ahead of you and they're preaching to the people. Can you imagine it? So the first attempt to silence the gospel fails. It cannot be locked up. And so they decide to prosecute it. You'd think that they have learned that, you know, if if they can't put it in prison, then other attempts are not going to work. But they press on, as opposition to the gospel often presses on. And what they do is they put the gospel on trial through the 12 apostles. There they are, lined up before the Sanhedrin, which is really the executive, the judicial, and legislative branch of Jerusalem. It's the law. And they say, if we can get these guys before us and we can put them under a sentence of our power and under our threat, then then maybe then we'll silence this thing. What they really want to silence is what? The name of Jesus. They're jealous They're jealous that that Jesus is winning over disciples from them, even as he sits on the throne of heaven. Followers are leaving the false teaching of of the religious leaders in Jerusalem, and they're flocking to Jesus, and they're jealous. So they say, well, if we can prosecute it, if if we can go at this with threats of our power, then maybe it'll finally fall silent, and we won't hear this name of Jesus anymore. And so they say, Very simple. We told you, you cannot preach the name of Jesus. And so this stops here. Verse 27, how did the apostles respond? We must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. And then... The apostles shared the gospel with them for good measure. Did you notice that? I love it. Verse 27. Verse 30. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. This this is the gospel in summary form. Christ's life, his death, his resurrection, and the life that comes to all that would believe on him. Forgiveness, repentance in his name, turning away from sins to new life. And so here they are, 
evading the threats of these religious leaders. They mean nothing to them. And they say, we must obey God rather than men. And what God says is, preach the gospel. Share the good news. Well, then the religious leaders see that they can't beat the gospel by locking it up. They can't beat the gospel by prosecuting it. And so maybe they'll try to beat the gospel out of these disciples. Maybe physical force will finally silence this name of Jesus. And so they try that in verse 40. It simply says they beat them. Now you need to understand those words are packed with meaning. They beat them. Anyone who knew about beating in the ancient world knew that it meant this. It meant 39 lashes because 40 could kill a person. Two on the back, one on the chest with a whip. 13 total rounds of that. Two on the back, one on the chest. Two on the back, one on the chest. As if to say, you stop talking about Jesus or else we'll take it to 40 next time. But it doesn't work. It doesn't work. The gospel evades even this obstacle. Uh, and, and, and the good news just erupts in the heart's of these apostles so that they counted it all joy that they suffered dishonor because of the name of Jesus. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine joy like that in our day to suffer for Jesus' name, to be beaten to that extent for Jesus? And it says this, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Friends, here's the main idea that just jumps off the pages of this passage. It's that the gospel cannot be stopped. God's gospel cannot be thwarted. It cannot be silenced. It perseveres. It overcomes. It succeeds. And then it does this by the power of the Holy Spirit through the messengers deliver, delivering it. It's amazing that we hear in the middle of all this attempt to silence the gospel that there's a man who stands up. He's part of the, the religious rulers. His name is uh, Gamaliel, and he has a message for his brothers. He says in verse 37, we probably shouldn't kill them yet. And here's why. Because if this thing isn't from God, if this message about Jesus is actually from men, then it's going to fail. And it's going to fail like all the other movements that have risen and, and, and fallen Uh, over the course of the past few years. And he points to to two uprisings uh, that that were part of of, um, a dissension from the Jewish uh, status quo. He says, you know, those, those failed. We didn't have to do much about it. This could be just like that. Or could actually be from God. And then we'll really be in trouble we've killed God's messengers. It's an interesting point, isn't it? And what I think it's here to do is to leap off the pages once again like a challenge. It's a challenge to the gospel. It says, prove yourself. Prove yourself, word of God. And the entire book of Acts is like this recording that stands up and says, I'll take take on that challenge. Look at what my word can do. Look at what the gospel can do. Look at the obstacles that it'll overcome. Nothing can stop it. 
You know, one of the greatest proofs that the gospel really is what it claims to be, the very word of God for salvation to all who believe, the very power of God, according to Romans 1. Here's the proof that it really is the real deal. It has survived countless attempts to snuff it out, more than any other message that's ever been put forth. Nero tried to burn the gospel. Hitler tried to Arianize the gospel. Stalin tried to purge the gospel. China tried to silence the gospel and still tries to do so today. Many in our own country try to politicize or redefine the gospel or water it down. And do you know what has happened in the face of each of those attempts? Hasn't worked. None of them has really succeeded. Think of this as well, friends. You and I tried to resist the gospel. At least there are some of you out there who who know a time in which you said, yeah, I don't want this. I don't want this message. And yet, didn't the gospel pursue you just like the word of God pursued Jonah when he tried to run to Tarshish, fleeing from the presence of the Lord? Didn't the gospel of Jesus chase you down and pursue you until it even overcame the stubborn obstacle of your own heart? And you said, this has been a long process, but I believe. That's the power of the gospel. No message has been more opposed, but no message has been more resilient. And so before you walk away from the gospel and say, yeah, I'm not so sure what I think about this. Look at the bold witness and proof that the gospel has tried to be silenced over and over and over again. And according to Gamaliel's very challenge, the gospel has succeeded. It's no mere message from mortals. It is the very word of God, the power of God for salvation to all who believe, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. Now, why do we need to hear this today? Why do we need to hear that the gospel is unstoppable? And how do we respond? First thing I think we ought to notice, friends, is that it doesn't always feel like the gospel is unstoppable. I mentioned this at the beginning of the sermon. Sometimes it feels like the good guys always lose. And the bad guys seem to win. When we talk about the gospel with our peers, sometimes we get eye rolls. Oftentimes, we hear from our neighbors that this gospel is intolerant, is exclusive, and that if we just get with the times, we would, we would jettison it all together. And in the face of that, we, we start to say, you know, When is the gospel going to overcome these obstacles? When, when is it really going to, to plow through stubborn hearts around me? When is it really going to start to make the tangible changes in society that we long to see? You know, maybe that's why we're so hesitant to share the gospel sometimes. We struggle to really believe that it is unstoppable. And 
the words of men loom large and the word of God shrinks somewhere in our hearts. And this passage is free. This, this whole passage is here to renew your confidence and encourage you. This whole passage is here to remind you that the gospel is on the move and despite present appearances, history itself bears witness that it is on the move and unstoppable. The, the slaves who languished in our country in some of its earlier days talked about a gospel train. African-American spiritual uh, sung about a gospel train that was on the move. They said, climb aboard that train. It's moving. It's going. It's not going to stop. I think that's the picture we see in this passage is that there is a gospel train and, and it's, it's rolling. And have you, imagine trying to stop a moving train. You're not going to do it. Instead, what we need to do is, is climb aboard and shout to all that we're passing. Come on, come on. There's no fair, it's free. Come on board. The Lord Jesus Christ proclaimed salvation who all who would come to him by faith. And so the call of this passage, how, how do we respond? We respond with confidence, but we also respond with obedience. We must obey God rather than men. We must share this good news. In fact, this is the first passage in Scripture um, where we see uh, that word in the book of Acts, evangelism. It's translated in this passage as preaching, but, but the word euangelizo, to proclaim good news, to preach the gospel. It's here loud and clear and obvious that we are to join in this sharing of good news to a watching world. And that's part of our obedience. It's looking at men and saying, you know, scares me to tell you about the gospel. And I know how wavering my heart is, but we must obey God rather than men. Listen to the words of this life, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, maybe you're hearing this news and you're still skeptical about all this gospel talk. Maybe the sermon intrigues you, but you think you'll keep mulling things over. I think this passage speaks to you as well. I think this passage says loud and clear that the gospel train is on the move. So don't delay. Don't delay in turning from your sins and turning to the Lord Jesus Christ and climbing aboard this train that's moving and moving because it's not going to wait for you. And, and at the end of your life, you don't, you're not going to get a second opportunity to, to heed this call to climb aboard. Now is the time of salvation. Now is the time when the gospel is on the move. And, 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 and at the end of the age, God comes and says to all who have heard the message, you believed, come into my kingdom or you rejected this message. You rejected this message. This That's what
That's the reality of this passage. That the gospel is unstoppable as it moves forth. So don't resist it. Embrace it. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit to do so. But the call comes to you just as clearly. Climb on board. Join the movement. Embrace the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the call of the gospel that goes forth to all. And Lord, there is clear opportunity as we're hearing it today to believe and embrace it. Uh, But Lord, it is a fearful thing we know to hear the call of your word and to resist it. And so we pray that all of us on the coming day would would be found um, safe within this gospel, which you have designed as the power that is able to save. And we thank you for the message of that gospel, which is Christ Jesus, him crucified, him raised again on the third day, and that this life is for all, all who would believe. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.